Good morning. How's everyone? So I'm uh, Ted Voltmer, the executive pastor here at the chapel. And uh, before we get started, I do want to echo uh, Brady's prayer. I just want to take a moment and uh, silently pray for the people of Paris. So just join me for a moment. Father God in heaven, it's so hard at times like this uh, to try to even understand what is happening. And our hearts go out to the people, our brothers and sisters in, in Paris and all the people of France. We pray for those who have lost loved ones, who have lost friends. We pray for those who are still struggling through this uh, physically and emotionally. And we pray, dear God, that somehow you would use these events to draw them and us closer to you. Let them feel your presence. When I hear of attacks like this and events like this, Father, my mind goes back to the old hymn. This is my Father's world. Let me never forget that though the wrong often seems so strong, God is the ruler yet. And we take great comfort in knowing that, Father, that you are in control. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, as I said, I'm Ted. I'm, I'm the executive pastor here. Pastor Dave is over in Mali, West Africa, with a team from the chapel. And he'll be back here next week to start a series from Isaiah that will take us right up through Christmas. So does that freak you out a little bit when I say Christmas? Today we're wrapping up our series on courage from the book of Joshua, and we'll be looking at chapters 3 and 4. So just a quick review. Pastor Dave introduced us to Joshua in chapter 1, where God said to him, you are now the man. Be strong and courageous and lead the people across into the land I have given them. Then last week, we learned about Rahab, a prostitute living in Jericho who helped the Israelite spies scouting the city. From Rahab, we're reminded that sometimes our beliefs drive us to take risks. Take risks. Today, the story swings back to Joshua and the people of Israel as they're finally about to enter into the land God promised them centuries ago. Today, we're also taking time to focus on missions and some of the chapel's missionaries. The mission statement of the chapel is transforming people into Christ followers who love God, love people, and serve the world. Serve the world. And a big part of serving the world is taking the gospel message outside of these four walls to those around us and across the globe as well. There's an insert in your bulletin. You can pull it out. It lists the 28 missionaries that you all support through your gifts and offerings to the chapel. These men and women serve in eight different countries, and you'll hear me refer to some of them throughout the morning. And if you're thinking, you know, maybe I could do that. I, I could be a missionary. A great way to experience missions for yourself is to go on a short-term trip. A good example of that is, is Debbie Dower. This is Debbie one of the chapel's missionaries serving over in Germany where she's been more there for uh, more than 20 years. Debbie always had an interest in missions, but it wasn't until she went on a short-term trip herself that God confirmed she could do this full-time. So you never know. That could happen to one of you. This year, we sponsored six different short-term trips, and 75 people from the chapel participated. Some of them will actually be in the cafe between services, so if you'd like to find out about what's more of what's involved in a short-term trip and if it's actually for you, stop by the missions table over in the cafe. They would love to meet you and talk to you more. 
So before we dive into Joshua 3 and 4, just join me in prayer. Father God in heaven, we just thank you now for this time of the day to gather and worship you and hear from your word. So I just pray that you would quiet our hearts. Just open us up to your word. Just take me out of the way and speak to us through, through the story of Joshua and the Israelites. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as I mentioned, Pastor Dave is part of a great team ministering this week in Mali. Dave and two other men, Dave Deacon, Dave's one of our elders, and Alistair Bate. You probably remember Alistair. He was up here a few months ago preaching. They've been teaching in a Bible school in Mali and working with many of the area pastors this whole week. The rest of the team has been working in the medical center there with Dr. Dan Kim, one of our missionaries. Dan and his wife, Julie, along with their children, have been in Mali since 2013, and Dan is the chief surgeon at the Kuchiala Hospital there. When Dan was here in July on furlough, he shared his story of how God had called him to leave his medical career in Atlanta and move his family to, rest, to West Africa. Do you remember that when he was up here? Dan talked about how God had been tugging at their hearts for some time, feeling like they could be doing so much more. Then they got into a small group, he and Julie did, that was studying the book Radical, Radical by David Platt. In that book, Platt challenges you to abandon the American dream and make a higher commitment to following Christ. Well, that did it for Dan and Julie. They sold their home, packed up, and moved to Mali. When I first heard Dan share that story, I remember thinking, I am not reading that book. <laughs> no, it's a very good book. But, uh, but seriously, Dan and Julie heard what God was telling them to do. They heard what God was telling them to do, and they had the courage to obey. And I'll be honest, I don't know if I'm that brave. I don't know if I have that kind of courage. And I don't think I'm the only one like that. God is probably not asking you to go to Mali, but he does ask you to love your neighbor. And you say, but God, you don't, you don't know my neighbors. They're loud and their parties go on all night and we have nothing in common. And I wouldn't even know where to start. Or I've tried to reach out to that person, but I don't want to be hurt again. I can't be rejected one more time. And we know that Jesus commands us to tell others about him, but I, I don't know what to say, and I can't really bring that up at the office. And the other kids at school, they just don't even want to hear that. Do I have the courage to do what God says? That's what it comes down to, right? If I believe what God is telling me, do I have the courage to follow through on it? Well, thankfully, God understands this about us, and he wants to help. Today, God will show us from the example of Joshua and the Israelites that it's not as hard as we think, that we can take courage because God is with us, because God knows what we can handle, and because God has done this before, okay? We can have the courage we need because God is with us, God knows what we can handle, and God has done this before. Why is this even important? Because like Joshua, most times our biggest challenges are not what's in front of us, it's what's inside of us. And how great would it be to have the courage that God wants for us to not be held back from doing what we know we should do because we're afraid? How great would that be for us as a church if all of us together had the courage to do what God says and to be bold for him? But it starts with me and with you. Do I have the courage to do what God says? 
Well, the answer can be yes, because God is with us. He knows what we can handle. And because God has done this before. So let's walk through Joshua 3 together, and I'll call out a few things as we go. Okay, let's jump in. Joshua 3, verses 1 to 11. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits, that's like half a mile, between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of them. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the, all, in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. So let's set the scene here. The people of Israel had spent 400 years as slaves in Egypt and Moses had led them out of there and it looked like they were going to go and take possession of their new homeland. The land promised to Abraham back in Genesis 12, but it turned out they weren't spiritually ready, so they wound up wandering in the desert for 40 years. Right at the end of that time, Moses died, and Joshua was appointed to take his place as leader of the nation. So here's this massive group. They're camped out on the banks of the Jordan River, looking across into the land that God had promised them. This is the land they've heard about for generations. They've been so close before, but now they were finally going to enter it. There was only one problem, the river, the river. Verse 15 tells us that the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest, which was right now. So the people of Israel, all 2 million men, women, children, livestock, uh, tents, food, carts, whatever they had, they're all looking at the river, and then they look at Joshua, and then they're looking at the river. So what does Joshua do? He points them to God. He points them to God because he knows that to have the courage to do what God says, you have to realize that God is with you. Pastor Dave did a great job of making this point when he preached on Joshua 1. God made sure that Joshua understood this himself when he said, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Just a great verse. So I just want to make one quick point on this. We've been focused on Joshua. After all, Joshua is, is the leader of all of Israel now. But the hero of this story is not Joshua. It's God. We see that in the passage. The Ark of the Covenant is a symbol of God's presence to the Israelites. And it's mentioned nine times in chapter 3. More than Joshua himself. The people are told to watch for the Ark. And when they see it, to follow the Ark down the river. Joshua himself tells the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. At this point, Joshua doesn't even know what's going to happen, 
but he knows it will be amazing because God is there. This is Keith and Debbie Runquist, missionaries with Inner City Impact. I asked them if they had any concerns about going into missions, and this is what Keith said. There were always questions, financial security, acceptance by people, etc. But in the end, it is only trusting in the faithfulness of God to provide those and more that frees us up to move forward. Joshua would say, amen to that. He didn't know what was going to happen, but he was trusting in the faithfulness of God. Next, look at verse 7. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Now, if that verse ended after, today I will exalt you, then it would have been all about Joshua, right? It would have been his story. And that verse would be on every T-shirt and coffee mug and poster. People would make it their life verse. Today, God's going to exalt me. That would be wonderful. But there's that little comma, followed by, so they may know that I'm with you. Yes, God will exalt Joshua here, but it's just so that the Israelites and Joshua himself know that God is with them. And that's why they had courage. That's why they had courage. And that's our first point. We can have the courage to obey because God is with us. Let's read the rest of the passage, picking up at verse 12. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the, in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Now the Jordan River is usually about 100 feet wide and 20 feet deep, but this was the rainy season. So now it would be overflowing its banks, churning and raging. But the only way to get to the other side was to go through it. So Joshua told the priests and all the people, head to the river, head down to the river. Now they had to be thinking, okay, this is, this is going to be like when our parents and grandparents were escaping the Egyptians and God parted the Red Sea and they just walked through. But there's a big difference here. Back then when God parted the Red Sea first and then they walked through. This time, the priests had to take that first step that first step, and trust God to do what he said he would. Notice what happens. In verse 15, it says, Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away. So the priests carrying the ark step into the water, and about 20 miles away, the water piles up like a wall. That's pretty cool. But meanwhile, the water would still be rushing around their feet until it finally flowed downstream. They had to keep walking, trusting God to protect them until they finally reached the middle of the Jordan and stood 
on dry ground. So what do we take away from this? Do we learn that no matter what our personal river is, whatever our challenges are, if we just step boldly into them, then God will take them away? No, that's not it. But we do learn something about God that remains true to this day. He knows what we can handle. He knows what we can handle, and that should give us courage. He didn't say to Joshua, okay, once you get across the river, it's going to take you seven more years to conquer the land, and then after that, another seven years to settle it. And along the way, there'll be a lot of battles, and you're not going to win every one of them. No, God didn't hit him with that. God didn't say to the priests, okay, once you get the ark across, keep marching. You're going to come to this town called Jericho with a big wall. You're going to have to march around that seven times. And then after that, you're going to have to lead the armies into battle. You go first. Oh, and the Philistines at one point are going to capture the ark and take it. No, he didn't hit them with all that. All God said was go down to the river and take that first step. Take that first step. Now, I have to confess, I'm a, I'm a bit of a control freak. I like to know what's happening, who's going, what time do we have to be there, what do I have to do, all that stuff. But if God actually told me everything he wanted me to do, I'd probably crawl up in a ball and never leave the house, right? But I can take that first step. He can have me take that first step, and I can do that. What we're really talking about here is discipleship, day in and day out, obedience to God. This is Bruce and Wendy Dower, missionaries with Cadence International in North Carolina. Bruce put it this way, there is no substitute for daily routine faithfulness and dependence on him. I talked about Dan and Julie Kim at the beginning, and I want to go back to them for a minute. Since Pastor Dave is over there this week, I wanted, to ask Dan, I wanted Dave to ask Dan, what was that first step? What was Dan and Julie's first step like? Dan said that once they decided to go to Mali, they knew there would be a lot to do. They'd have to learn a new language. They'd have to sell their house. They'd have to pack up whatever stuff they had left. They had to get ready to homeschool the kids. There was a lot that had to happen for them to go. But none of that was the first step for Dan. For him, it was when he had to go into the chief surgeon that he reported to and explain that he was leaving the hospital, leaving the career he had studied for and worked so hard for, leaving Atlanta to go to Mali. For him, that was the first step. Now, once he took that first step, it wasn't like he instantly spoke French and they closed in the house that day and all their stuff suddenly appeared in Mali. No, they had to take the next step and the next step and the next one after that. And Dan would tell you that God was faithful each step of the way, never giving them more than they could handle. And today, he and Julie are thriving in Mali and their three beautiful children consider Mali their home. Dan told Pastor Dave this week, that he can't ever see himself leaving now. And it all started for him with that first step. Alexander McLaren, a, a pastor at Union Chapel in Manchester, England in the 1800s, once said that God often opens his hand one finger at a time. I love that. I love that idea. And knowing that should give us courage to take that one step because God knows what we can handle. 
So we've talked about having the courage to do what God says because he is with us and he knows what we can handle. Now I want to look quickly at Joshua 4 to see that we can get courage from knowing what God has done, from knowing that God has done this before. Okay, we can take courage from knowing that God has done this before. We don't have time to read the whole chapter, so let's focus on verses 4 to 7. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial for the people of Israel forever. At this point, all the Israelites have now crossed over into the promised land, but the priests are still out in the middle of the Jordan carrying the ark. So Joshua sends 12 men, one from each tribe of, the, of Israel, over to the ark and has them pull up a stone, hoist it up on their shoulder, and then carry it to the riverbank. Then there, they, they then build a memorial, a monument, to serve as a sign of what God did for them on this day. Why do you think, why do you think God had them do this? He'd just done this terrific, outstanding miracle. Why do you think he had them build this monument? Because he knew they would forget. He knew they'd forget. Okay, they'd probably remember the river stopping and walking across on dry land because that's just amazing. But they'd forget the reason God performed this miracle. Look back at chapter 3, verse 10. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you all the Canaanites and all the otherites. Yes, God parted the river so they could cross. But he did it so they would know that he was with them. So they would know that he was with them and that he would be with them when they confronted their enemies. There were 31 different cities ahead of them, each with its own army. And God knew that when things got tough, his people would start to doubt that he was there. They would forget all he had provided for them in the past. They did that before. They did that in the wilderness. So he knew they'd forget, so he had them build this monument, a reminder of what happened on this day to encourage them when things became difficult. This is Bob and Fritzy Strong, church planters in Argentina. They've been missionaries for over 40 years, and they're now asking God, what's next? What's next? But they're not worried because they remember all that God has done for them in the past. Here's what they wrote to me. From past experience, he has always brought us through, and so for his own reputation, he will see us through to bring honor and glory to his name once again. It's just a great attitude. So God told the Israelites to build this memorial so they'd remember he was with them. And there was another reason. He wanted them to tell their children. Tell their children. Look back at verse 6. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When your children ask, tell them what happened and tell them who was responsible. Tell them what happened and who was responsible. As a, as a father, that's just a great reminder. You can't get any more clear than that. Our children need to hear about what God is doing in our lives. 
They need to be told how God came through, uh, through for us when things were tough, when we struggled with an illness, or we couldn't work with that difficult person anymore. They need to find comfort in our experiences until they built up their own. Do you hear that? They need to find comfort in our experiences and knowing what God did for us until they can build up experiences of their own. We owe them that. So God had them build this monument so they'd remember what he did for them. And that's the same reason that we celebrate communion together, to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross so that we can have a relationship with God. We have communion to remember the price he paid for us, and we're going to do that today to help us remember. So servers, would you please go back to get ready to serve while I just close this out here. Now, some of you may be sitting there thinking, I, I know that God is with me, but I'm still not doing everything he wants me to do. This week, take that first step, just that first step to do what he wants, no matter how small it may be. Maybe it's reaching out to that person who's hurt you in the past. This week, just, just take that first step by, trying to recon, by, by reaching out to them to try to reconcile that way. Or maybe you want to be more bold about sharing your faith at work or at school. This week, be open to that one opportunity to talk to just one person about what God is doing in your life. Maybe we're not ready to take that first step because we're still struggling to get the courage to do what God wants us to do. After we take communion together, I'm going to come back to this and give you one thing you can do this week to remember what God has done for you and use that to build up your courage to follow him. For some of you, that first step could be just starting a relationship with God. If that's the case, come up after the service to a member of our prayer team or find me. We'd love to talk to you more about that. Now let's pray together as we prepare for communion. Father God, we just thank you uh, again for the example of Joshua and what it means to have the courage to do what you would have us do. I just pray that for all of us that you would fill us with the courage to obey you and follow you boldly. And now, Father, we just uh, thank you for this time of communion to remember again what Christ has done for us on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So just, just a sec. <laughs> just as the Israelites built a monument to remember the miracle God performed for them, Jesus, on his last night on earth, commanded his disciples to do this in remembrance of me. And that's why we celebrate communion, to remember Christ's death on the cross for our sins. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. That's a miracle far greater than crossing the Jordan River, that Christ loved me and you enough to take our punishment so that we can have a relationship with him. We've talked a lot today about having the courage to do what God says. So now, as we remember what Christ did for us on the cross, let's ask God to give us the courage to serve him.